Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the BT Powerhouse podcast. This is number 73. As always, my name is Thomas Bendit. I am the manager of BT Powerhouse and your host for the podcast. <laughs> We're back after a uh, short break. I want to I wanna say a week and a half, two weeks. Um, hasn't been too long, but we are back with uh, another podcast here. I know a lot of the a lot of the Big Ten focus has shifted over to to football, you know, for good reason. We're only you know eighteen, seventeen days away or so from the season, but you know, basketball still coming up as well. It always sneaks up here in October and November, but a lot going on. We have uh, a few interesting topics. We're going to hit on a couple of the non-con schedule releases here over the last couple of weeks, particularly Illinois and Michigan. Also going to touch on Purdue's international trip to Spain, where some interesting results. Uh, I was kind of intrigued by intrigued by the results over there, and certainly for a couple key Boilermakers heading into this year. Uh, and last, Rutgers picked up a commit over the last. I want to say two weeks ago or so, um, a late 2016 edition. Going to hit on him briefly, and uh, should be interesting. Should be interesting. But to help us break it down, we have Josh Stern, who's been on our podcast a few times here, part of the BT Powerhouse staff. Josh, how's it going? Pretty good, Thomas. Uh, how are you? Doing well. Doing well. Excited to to chat the Big Ten. Been a little bit here. How, how's your summer hanging? It's been good. Uh, yeah, it's been weird, uh, as you were saying before, no college basketball, no college football, so I'm excited for the fall. Uh, the Olympics have been great, but uh, but there's really nothing, mm-hmm. at least for guys like you and me, like college college sports, so I'm, uh, I'm excited to get back to the fall and uh, and have that back in our lives once again. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I, I guess we should note as well, Big Ten representing pretty well over in uh, Rio. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember her name, the Indiana Swimmer. Um, people are going to kill me for this. Uh, but uh, uh, Lil, did great there down the rush. Hey, can you repeat that? Sorry. Lily King? Yes, yes, Lily King. Okay. Lily King killed it, took down Russia, and their uh, previously reported, uh, I guess, how should you say, juicing athlete. Um, and then uh, Draymond Green also – playing for Team USA. They got a win over Argentina tonight, so they move on. Um, but, of course, this isn't an Olympic podcast. This is a, a Big Ten Hoops podcast. So um, let's dive into it. Let's start with, as I said, a couple scheduling releases here over the last couple of weeks. Uh, we'll start with Illinois, who came out, I want to say, last week. But uh, they released their non-con. A lot of these dates you know, were already known, You know, having the schedule come out so late. But you know, uh, the big ones, they get West Virginia in New York City, uh, actually in Brooklyn, you know, part of New York. Um, they get North Carolina State as part of the Big Ten ACC Challenge. They get PCU. Um, they get their annual game with Missouri. They're also playing BYU in Chicago, and uh, they're either going to play Florida State or Temple based on what they do against West Virginia. I'd say those are probably the big notable games. Um, Josh, have you had a chance to check out the schedule and first impressions uh, for the Illini on the schedule? Uh, yeah, I got a chance to look at it a little bit. Uh, first impressions are this is a really, really nicely put together schedule. 
Um, you know, in recent years, teams across the Power Five conferences have been a little bit reluctant to play one another. Um, but I think that Illinois did a really good job here. I mean, obviously, you have a team like West Virginia that had a great season last year. Um, a team like North Carolina State in the ACC, a little bit of a down year for them, but still a really good team. VCU's always tough in the A-10. Um, and then I like scheduling BYU, you know, not your traditional Power Five team. Um, still a, a really good team year in, year out. Uh, they have a bunch of great players there out in Provo. Uh, and Missouri, too, having the, the BYU game and the Missouri game four days apart uh, kind of makes for, for an interesting schedule. But, no, I, I really like what John Gross and his staff did here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I last year I was like in love with Illinois' non-conference schedule. Um, I'm sure Illini fans are cringing as I say that, you know, just based on how the season went last year. But they, Illinois, to me, for their money, is they're the best schedulers uh, in Big Ten basketball. And the reason I say that is because they get names, they get enough interesting games where the fans will be excited. Uh, you know, they're big games to go to at home. You know, they kind of have the renovation, so that's a little bit of a weird situation. But um, but they also have – they avoid the games that are potential resume, uh, you know, bombs, as I call them. Uh, they play teams that are good enough, likely still wins. You know, for instance, they're playing Detroit. They're playing Central Michigan. Those are both good teams, but probably not good enough to actually beat Illinois. You know, they're good enough to pull up the headset, but you're talking about, you know, certainly less than 25% odds of those teams knocking off Illinois. Um, and certainly, you know, with them both coming in Champaign. So I I really like this schedule. Um, there are going to be tough games, and they're, you know, assuming Illinois isn't either way better or way worse than kind of the season predictions are. Um, you know, some of the, a lot of these games are going to be toss-ups. You know, North Carolina State in particular you know, they have a great, great recruiting class coming in this year. They're going to be really tough, but Illinois gets them at home. They get them early. You know, theoretically, those recruits are still trying to find their footing um, for the Wolfpack. You know, VCU, oddly, they're playing in Miami. Um, you know, that's a winnable game on both sides, but going to be tough. West Virginia, probably a loss, but, uh, you know, you'll get an opportunity to to make it up with either Florida State or Temple. So I like the schedule. Um Odds are they're they're probably going to lose two games, maybe three, if you know if they really perform well. Um, but uh, but yeah, yeah, I, it should be interesting. Uh, any any big games stand out to you? Do you think there there's any potential bombs in this schedule for an upset or anything? Um, no, I mean the, the interesting thing that you said, and I completely agree with, um, is obviously you have the bigger names, but the smaller names too. I mean, Northern Kentucky's been decent in years past. Detroit's pretty good. Winthrop's pretty good. Uh, Central Michigan. So even those teams that are near the bottom aren't – I mean, I know, for example, for Michigan, because obviously you and I both went to Michigan and we cover Michigan. Michigan sometimes will schedule teams in the RPI 250 or 300 that will be resume killers. I don't see any of those teams really – Except for, I don't know who McKendry is. I'm looking at their schedule. But for the most part, most of those games are going to be against, like, at least solid to above-average teams that won't be uh, total RPI killers. Um, You also touched on the geography of the games. In terms of recruiting, I think it's great. I mean, obviously, you're based just outside of Chicago, and you're actually playing a game in Chicago at the United Center. So that's really, really smart. 
You have a game in St. Louis. You have a game in Miami. You have a game in New York. So you're pretty much telling recruits, hey, we are looking to try to expand our recruiting focus to not just the Midwest, but around the entire country. We're going to come to a city near you. Here's why you should come watch us play. So I really like that aspect of the schedule as well. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting aspect to add. Um, I know when I was looking it through, they do have a couple potential bombs. Um, I know the Southeast Missouri State is one. Uh, McKendry, I, to be honest, I they have not popped up. They're not on Ken Pop, so I, I, I'm not sure. I didn't do any research into them further. I'm going to have to look at that. Um, but IUPUI is another one that could be a potential issue. But, uh, but yeah, otherwise, all these teams are good enough to where beating them, for the most part, um, should add to the resume, at least theoretically. So, uh, you know, outside of the, you know, a bomb game or two, you know, potential, uh, good scheduling, I, I, I at least think. I, I would put a, you know, near an A on this thing. I know West Virginia isn't necessarily the top A game that some people want. You know, everybody always wants Duke or Kentucky or something. But I think, uh, you know, given their recent years and, and given how some of these other teams have performed, this schedule is more than good enough to uh, foster an NCAA tournament berth assuming Illinois, uh, you know, shows up to play, <laughs> which uh, hasn't exactly happened the last couple of years. But but with that, uh, we'll jump into the the other schedule release, uh, and that uh, is Michigan, of course, um, as you mentioned a couple minutes ago. In, really, uh, to me, it, it's, you know, very split. You know, I, I wrote an article on this uh, for Today's You a couple of weeks ago, and my takeaway was, you know, marquee opponents and cupcakes. I think this is a schedule where every, like virtually every game is a really tough game or should just be a complete blowout. Um, first, do you agree with that? Um, and what's your takeaway, if you, assuming you do, uh, what's your takeaway on what that could mean for Michigan this year? Um, I mean, I definitely agree with, with the cupcake part, but, you know, um, yeah. It's it's kind of hard to schedule those games um, where um, where you're finding really really quality teams that want to come and play that pretty much know that there's a good chance they're going to get beat. Um, like you said, Illinois is one of those teams that's very good at doing that. Michigan, unfortunately, was unable to in terms of slightly better than than the RPI 200 250 teams like that. Um, but no, I, I don't think I don't think all of the the teams with the marquee names are going to be games that are, that are going to be really really close. I mean, a team like Virginia Tech, not the flashiest name of the ACC Big Ten Challenge by any stretch. They're going to be very good this year, Virginia Tech. But you know, a name that when when people think of, they think of basketball mediocrity. Um, I mean, I love I love the home and home with UCLA. I love the home and home with Texas. They'll flip. Michigan will go to. Austin next year and the Bruins will come to Ann Arbor next year as well. Um, and I, and I think the South Carolina game is good too. I know that there were rumors about the Cincinnati game, but it fell during the finals period. So they were unable to play that game. Um, John Beeline and Frank Martin have a, a relationship. So that seemed like a, a very solid game as well. Um, and you go to New York again. And, and I know John Beeline has an enormous fan base in New York and he tries to get, Michigan to go to uh, New York and play either Madison Square Garden or Barclays every year. So overall, I'm really pleased with it. Um, you know, your starters are going to be veterans. You have presumably three seniors and two juniors that will start. 
Um, but the bench is a huge unknown, and you need those early season games against uh, mediocre teams and against good teams uh, to kind of to test those guys. So, no, no overall, I, I like the schedule a lot. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I'm quite, you know, as a person, you know, as a Michigan fan, uh, which I've stated numerous times on this podcast, I'm very excited about, you know, playing Texas, playing UCLA, uh, you know, potentially playing Pitt, playing Marquette, you know, these bigger names, uh, teams, you know, people you know, big players. Uh, I'm really excited about that side of it. You know, Michigan playing at UCLA just sounds like a lot of fun. I think it'll make for a great game. However, with that said, uh, this this is going to be a very tricky schedule because, uh, you know, even some of the, you know, quote-unquote easier uh, marquee – and, again, I'm splitting this schedule into cupcakes and what I would refer to as marquee games. And the reason why is because pretty much outside of the big-name teams that, that you were talking about, all of these teams were pretty much awful last year, uh, you know. <laughs> I, I don't have the numbers out top of my head, but uh, but mo- the majority of these are below 200 on Ken Palm from last year. So you lose to these, they're massive losses. They're all coming at home. Michigan, you know, with five returning starters, a ton of experience, no reason to lose any of these games. And if they do, it will be a, a catastrophe. So with then, that, with so that then aside, I guess my, um, my question is, my question is, as as a Michigan, as a John Beeline, as an, an experienced team and you know, how do you get teams? I guess the question is, why don't you schedule any decent in-state teams? A Central Michigan, Eastern Michigan, obviously they beat you, but Detroit. You know, Bakari Alexander, the assistant coach from Detroit, went there. Uh, a team like uh, Milwaukee. You know, another assistant, Laval Jordan, who went to Milwaukee. Um, I'm, I'm sure they try to play uh, Wisconsin every year because that's an in-state game. But how come? John Beeline isn't trying to at least get teams where he knows that they'll probably want to play. Someone like Oakland. I mean, I know that, that a guy like Greg Campy would be unbelievably fired up about the chance to bring his guys into Ann Arbor, and that would be a really good game and a really good test for Michigan. So I'm curious to know what, you're, what you think is the reason that those teams either aren't being offered by Michigan, if it's a Michigan problem, or they're declining the invitation to play in the Chrysler Center. Well, I will say flat out that, you know, whatever, you you know, your belief is on why it happens, it is 100% a Michigan-based decision. Uh, you know, they used to play Oakland every year, and, uh, you know, Greg Campy and Oakland have been very open that Michigan decided to end that series. You know, whatever the reason may be, they don't want to play the in-state schools or theoretically the in-state schools that have the ability to take them down. Uh you know, Ohio State has done this a lot in recent years as well. Um, and really, I, I can't blame them. You know, if if you're trying to hold your own in your state to recruit, you know, you don't want Eastern or Dayton or whoever coming into your house and beating you. It's really embarrassing. It really hurts you in recruiting. Um, with that said, I don't necessarily think this is a bad schedule that will, you know, it has to hurt you. But, you know, if you if you slip up against one of those bad teams, it's going to be a big blow. And if they could very well get into a situation similar to last year, I know they had the Texas win, but um, where you beat all the crappy teams, you lose to all the good teams, and you end up looking with a really empty resume when you come into conference play. You know, you, you don't have at least a couple of those fringe top 100 wins. You know, this, this is all theoretical, 
But, you know, it wouldn't be that shocking if, you know, they lose on the road to South Carolina, who was a pretty good team last year. You know, they lose to Virginia Tech, who looks like an NCAA tournament team this year. You know, on the road at UCLA, not an easy game. Texas, uh, they were a top 25-ish uh, team last year. You know, these are tough games and very – I they're winnable, but they're also losable. So, I mean, I doubt Michigan loses all of those, but – uh, to me, it's not—it's a risk not worth taking. I'd like to see them play a couple more okay teams instead of the bottom of the barrel. But uh, it definitely seems to have be a beeline scheduling uh, strategy at least the last couple of years. So, um, any any final thoughts here on the schedule before we jump into Purdue? Um, I, I guess or disagreements with with my assessment? <laughs> um, no, no, I think you're right. I think you're right, but I think, um, you know, last year's team definitely underperformed. I mean, you didn't have Karras. You didn't have Spike. Your two senior leaders weren't there. You now have the seniors. All these guys have a year of experience all starting together mm-hmm. and gelling together. I, I think this is a this is a big season. I think it's a big season for Bilan. I think it's a big season bringing in two new assistant coaches. And you're right, but if you are able to get these wins and maybe you leave the non-conference with only two or three losses, you're you're setting yourself up really nicely in Big Ten play. So I, I think it can really help them, but you're right. I think if you end up with five or six losses, it can really hurt you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. And and with that, you know, I should also mention, we didn't talk about it much, but, you know, Illinois in a crucial season for John Gross, you know, everybody has him on the hot seat. I, I think even Illinois fans would admit that. So, you know, Illinois is in a similar situation where, they got to perform. You know, you can't you can't just kind of trip through non-conference play. So both these teams looking to make a bigger splash than the last couple of years uh, in the non-conference. But with that, I'll jump quickly into Purdue's uh, international trip. Um, for the people not as familiar with this, uh, the college hoops teams are allowed to take an international trip. I want to say every four or five years. One of the I believe it's four. Every um, every four years. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so every every four years they get to make a trip. You know, some of them will go to Canada. I believe Indiana, Wisconsin did that a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, some will go to Spain. I think MSU went to Italy, uh, all over the place. But it's a chance for them not only to bond as a team, but also to play some international competition. The quality of the competition is always up for debate. Uh, generally, it, it seems like the Big Ten, you know, performs pretty well against uh, the international competition. But, um, again, always up for debate. Not exactly a, a great measure. Um, my uh, Purdue, they did. They played four games. Uh, they went undefeated in the four games. Um, their last one, they won 117-66. to 66. So demolishing uh, the Euro Basketball Academy, which no idea who they are. <laughs> but... Uh, you know, they they ran through most of these games. Uh, my my big takeaways, you know, watching the stat sheets, watching a little bit of the games you could see, a lot of them they didn't, you didn't really have access. But uh, Caleb Swanigan, absolutely on fire. The guy uh, just dominated um, during the four games. He, he averaged 18.5 points a game, averaged 10.8 rebounds, broke a backboard, I guess, in one of the games, which, which never hurts. Uh, so I, I, I think the Swanigan hype definitely seems legit so far. Again, asterisk, you know, 
European competition, whatever they're playing. But uh, I personally, I, I felt like he was going to be a Big Ten player of the year contender before. Certainly seems that way now. Um, the other big takeaway for me, you know, the consistent criticism with Purdue over the last two years has been outstanding front court, solid wing group, and disaster of a backcourt. Um, they really are looking for backcourt contributors. You know, they have uh, Swanigan, they have Haas, they have Vince Edwards, but they really need guys to step up in the backcourt. Uh, you know, they brought in Spike Albrecht from Michigan as a transfer, and their uh, one addition on the recruiting trail was Carson Edwards. He had a really nice performance um, in Spain, averaged 16.3 points a game. Um, I'm looking for his assist. His assist to turnover ratio wasn't impressive. It was actually 9 to 9. Um, and he averaged 2.5 rebounds a game, but he shot well from long range, which is something Purdue hasn't been great at the last two years. Um, and again, you know, at least he had a one-to-one assist turnover ratio, but uh, he looks like a guy that, that could be a little bit of a, I don't know if necessarily a sleeper, but you know, if he could come in and, and give them some valuable minutes, that, that would be huge for Purdue. But other than that, you know, nothing stood out too much to me. Vince Edwards underwhelmed a little bit, but, uh, but, yeah, otherwise, you know, I thought Swanigan stats-wise looked good um, and Carson Edward turning some heads. Uh, Josh, did you have any takeaways, any, anything about either the trip or Purdue um, as we're chatting here about this? Um, no, I mean, I, I didn't really get to watch much uh, of the games. I saw a couple of highlights. Um, but just looking at the box scores, obviously it wasn't the best competition. But obviously you see Swanigan, 18.5 points per game, um, almost 11 rebounds. Someone like Isaac Haas, 13.5 points per game, almost 7 rebounds. Um, I mean, those are going to be guys that Matt Painter is going to be looking for 28 to 32 or 33 minutes a game. Swanigan potentially even more. Um, I, I mean, um, A.J. Hammonds is gone. So those are those are your two big workhorses. I'm really curious to see um, kind of what they do. Um, and then you were talking about the uh, the backcourt. Um, Spike Albrecht, you know, Michigan guy, Michigan transfer, played 69 minutes, but uh, didn't have a huge impact. Only scored uh, four points in his uh, in his four games for Purdue. It'll be interesting to see how he does. Um, and somebody like Ryan Klein too picked up the scoring. He was he was actually pretty good on the trip, but uh, but the two of them are definitely going to uh, combine to play that back that uh, point guard and and potentially backup point guard role. So it'll be interesting to see uh, kind of how Painter what Painter does with them in the fall and then going forward as well. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd agree that that backcourt is you know none of this is rocket science, but the backcourt is obviously the place to watch for Purdue coming into next season. You know, they, they have a lot of interesting guys. You know, you mentioned Klein. He really came on last year, you know, and he appears to be trending up. You know, they bring in Carson Edwards. They have P.J. Thompson. They have a lot of guys. They need a guy. They need a starter. That That's really what they need. Um, and, you know, not a guy who just, you know, starts the game, but a legitimate uh, guy who can be a quality starter. Uh, maybe Spike Albrecht is that guy. You know, he, he was one of the better passers in Spain, uh, at least statistically. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. But uh, definitely some interesting tidbits on Swanigan and Edwards out of Europe. 
and we'll have to see on the court. You know, certainly how things look, it looks like Purdue will be one of the the top-end Big Ten guys uh, heading into next season. But before before we end the old podcast, uh, one other big, big thing to hit on, and that was Rutgers picking up a commit, um, and it was – I will probably butcher his last name, but Eugene Omori um, uh, starts with an O. But uh, <laughs> he is a uh, a small forward, you know, quasi wing player. He's listed at six six. Not a ton of attention, at least in the rating services. But uh, he comes out of Canada. It, he apparently was a, a big time player in his high school. I, I believe that's what I know. Canada has this weird like college high school system, so I, I don't want to say, but basically in his high school, he was uh, like an all-star, um, played well, but a late addition, not a ton of attention on the recruiting trail, but, uh, you know, for a Rutgers team desperately needing depth um, and talent, I, I think it was a useful addition. Um, you know, what kind of impact he can make at Rutgers, I'm not sure. Uh, maybe he can turn into a, you know, a bench player in a year or two. You know, a quality bench player, I I should say, but uh, you know they need bodies. Uh, they got one with with uh, Amari here, and uh, it, it'll be interesting to watch. At, you know, as as Pico tries to pick things up on the recruiting trail. Uh, Josh, did you have any reactions to this commitment? Um, you think it means anything for the team this year, or or is this kind of a long term addition? Um. Look, I mean, at this point, anyone who wants to play for Rutgers, it's uh, it's kind of commendable that uh, <laughs> they can they can get them to go to New Jersey and and play because uh, that program is definitely a little bit of a mess right now. But it, you know what? I mean, every year you're hoping Rutgers is on the up and up. Um, my only hesitation is he's a six six wing. Um, I think he's incredibly raw, and if he's joining the mm-hmm. 2016 class, generally that means that. Um, he didn't have any offers, and and getting signed in August means, um, you know that that there's still a couple things that he needs to work on. He's not one of those guys that's going to step in and be an immediate impact player. But that, with that being said, he's at Rutgers, so if there's anywhere where he'll be able to probably play some minutes this year, be able to make some mistakes, learn, develop as a player, I think it's a good place for him. Um, you know, we were talking before about Missouri kind of expanding and playing games and in different cities in the U S I think it's great that Rutgers is getting a, a, an international commit international might be Canada, but still they're, they're expanding their recruiting horizons. They're able to pick up a player from Canada. Um, I think more for the program, it means um, future for the success for, sorry, success for the future, as opposed to anything immediately right now, but maybe a year or two down the line, uh, he could turn into a really nice swing player. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, and one thing, you know, I, I think a lot of people forget, too, is, uh, yeah, this this may sound dumb and this may depress Rutgers fans a little bit, but, uh, you know, they are in a very – I'll, I'll just lay it. You know, they're in a terrible spot right now. You know, they were awful – beyond awful last year. Um, and I'm not – again, I know I say this all the time, but I'm not trying to rip on them, but you have to point it out. And the thing is, though, is that – to get where they want to be, which is back in the NCAA tournament, which is back playing even just decent basketball, um, it has to be improvement from within. You know, they're not going to recruit their way out of this, at least not recruit their way out of this by, you know, obeying the rules. Because, you know, Rutgers isn't a blue blood basketball program, and 
they certainly haven't played well enough over the last couple of years to where they're just suddenly going to start reeling in four and five stars. But, you know, even if he can provide a boost in, you know, in practice and on the scout team, you know, that alone would be worth it. And, you know, again, very thin team. They have, you know, they have scholarships available. Uh, they need just bodies and guys who can play. You know, they got riddled by injuries last year too. So I, I think this is something that could make a, a difference behind the scenes. We'll have to see. Uh, I wouldn't put a ton of stock that, that he's going to turn things around, but it is at least, a, you know, one boost for for uh, Steve Peagle. Um But before before we move on from, from him, uh, one thing I did want to know is, according to verbal commits, he had three other offers, which were Fairfield, Marquette, and USC. Um, admittedly, these were way earlier, so I'm not sure if they were actually committable at the point either then or when he committed to Rutgers, but I did just want to note that uh, for people who uh, might be yelling in their cars or whatever right now. <laughs> so, um, but, uh, but, Josh, uh, before we get going here, uh, any final thoughts on, you know, Big Ten hoops, anything going on lately uh, that you want to get out here before we end the podcast? Um, no, I, I mean, I think we pretty much touched on it all. Um, I think that the actual date, the schedule release, uh, is in two weeks. I'm not sure the exact date on that. It's usually a Sunday, uh, at the end of August. And that's when we'll get the actual dates for, uh, for the schedule. Um, the only reason that to me ends up being such a big deal is because, you know, a team that's playing well could end up having a really rough three or four game stretch in which they play the upper echelon of the conference in back-to-back-to-back games. Um, And, you know, and it could either make their season or entirely derail their season. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, I'm hoping one of the Michigan-Wisconsin games ends up on a weekend so I get a chance to either make it out to Ann Arbor or Madison because my brother's at Wisconsin to see one of those games. But, uh, but no, I I think right now, uh, you know, uh, you know, we got, uh, we got college football season coming up, which should be a, a great year and we'll, we'll have the hoop schedule released and uh, I'm excited. It should be, should be great. Yeah. Yeah. Last couple of weeks of darkness here, if you're a college football and college basketball fan, so excited to get into, get into it. But uh, Josh, thank you for joining us and uh, we'll look forward to having you on next time. Perfect. Thank you, Thomas. Appreciate it. Thanks. Uh, and just a reminder to everyone that was Josh Stern. He's one of our writers does a lot of Michigan stuff, uh, but he does touch on a couple of the other teams um, for BT Powerhouse. Highly recommend uh, going to btpowerhouse.com. He has a Michigan schedule breakdown on there. Uh, definitely worth a read. But uh, but with that, that's that's all we got uh, for this time. We'll be back certainly when that schedule release comes out. Um, hopefully in a week or week and a half or so. You know, if any new news pops up. Uh, obviously, you know, we're in kind of the dead point of the of the college basketball year, but there should be, uh, you know, some big news coming up here shortly. I think we're like a month away from practice starting or maybe a month, a little more. But, uh, you know, getting close, I guess, is my only point. But uh, uh, with that, um, I'm Thomas Bendit. You can follow me on Twitter at TBendit. Um, again, encourage everyone to check out btpowerhouse.com, and we will see you next time. Thank you.